Good evening, everybody. My name is Max Cohen, uh, and you are listening to the Mocha Live podcast. It is 5 o'clock, 5.01 o'clock uh, p.m. EST on the dot. Uh, I am joined, as I am every week, by Coborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. What's up, Coborn? Pleasure. And joining us, a very special guest and a very dear friend, Julian Brangold, programming director for the museum, artist, audio engineer creator of the mocha live theme song uh all around good guy julian what's up from buenos aires i am so excited to be here guys i've been listening to these for a while and now being here feels funny and strange but i'm very happy to finally be a part of this amazing podcast and well, you work at mocha so you are contractually obligated to listen to all of these <laughs> that's very true and that should go as a warning to anybody else who is working at mocha who is not listening to these uh live streams uh we can dock your pay um, <laughs> all right so um one of the reasons we wanted to have julian on this week is because um colborne and shivani our other director our two director team were both in Buenos Aires at the opening of an exhibit down there, um, Cerro Uno. And it seemed to get some really awesome feedback, seemed to have some really great attendance. Julian, uh, could you tell us a bit about what it felt like to be on the ground? For sure. Um, so yeah, basically uh, we wanted to throw an event um, for several different reasons. Um, one of them being the fact that uh, part of the museum staff was coming to Buenos Aires. And I think that the best way to get um, in contact with a local artist community is by, you know, bringing artists together um, and bringing art together. So um, that was one of the reasons why I thought it was a cool idea to put together an event while, you know, Colborne and Shivani, uh, Ludovica as well, and also Bertie from ArtDAO were all here. And then the other reason was um, to tease something that Colborn, um, Shivani, and Ludovica are working on, um, which uh, I'm going to let Colborn talk about that if he wants. But um, yeah, the main idea was bring artists together and bring the museum and the local art scene together, right? Um, so yeah, it was incredible. The experience was amazing. The response was absolutely overwhelmingly nice and positive and people really enjoyed it um, especially I think because it was kind of like a nice portrayal of what digital art is um, you know looks like in Buenos Aires right now it was a, a very like yeah. um, it's panned across a lot of different disciplines and um, formats um, and mediums in the uh, digital art scene in Buenos Aires and I think that's not very common here um, as I expressed many times in my uh, Crux Tide column. Um, so yeah, I think that people were excited to see this like compendium of different mediums, different styles, different, you know, formats, etc. Um, and then we had a talk where, you know, uh, Colborn, Shivani, Ludovica, Bertie, and three people, and sorry, uh, two, three, sorry, three people from here got to like talk about their projects and you know, speak a little bit about why we're getting together, why we were doing that. That was really nice as well. And then we had an after party that was very, very fun too. So it was an all around super fun event. Um, the venue was amazing too. Art Love, shout out to them. They were incredible. Ooh. They really, um, yeah, they really uh, gave everything they had. So this event would work and come out the best possible. So that was really amazing. But yeah, I, my focus personally was 
to throw this interesting, nice-looking, different art exhibit. And I think we succeeded in that, which I'm very proud of. Hell yeah. Yeah. Colborne, I'm interested because you've been around to so many conferences of late and you know, especially in the last year, something like this, which I think was purposefully a lot more like small scale, a lot more intimate, you know, one night, I believe, right. One night um, with 350 guests, like what was it like being in this much kind of like smaller, more personal space as opposed to the kind of larger, you know, more like globalized conferences that you've been to? I mean, it was just off the charts, right? It was so incredible. Uh, Selena, we, we have to give huge, like, uh, thanks to who did incredible curation. We continue to explore what it move, means to move beyond the JPEG, right? And, like, what are these objects facilitating that is, you know, also the art? Like, what is the art of that connection? What is the art of the spirit how are people finding each other? How are they attracted to each other online? There is such like an energetic component behind this and delving into the minds of the artists. It, it was so wonderful. There were uh, a myriad of like interactive exhibits, games. There was like physical art installations, incredible glasses from Andre, um, like a glitch box that you could play with. And, you know, and it, it just shines and altogether it really shines. So I think as far as like advancing the medium, uh, showcasing what it could be, attracting new and novel interest from people who had heard of crypto art and NFTs. And it, it was just the response was so overwhelmingly positive. It was um, it's, there's just like I, I don't think anybody would ever get hooked at a conference Right. But in a place like this, you would get hooked because yeah. you, you would you would have the chance to go deeper. And I wasn't having like three minute conversations with people. I was having like 20, 30 minute conversations with people. Um, and, you know, in, in the beginning, the dance floor suffered because of it. But by like two, two, three a.m., uh, everybody was just like so excited that we were just going. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember. um Early last year, I was thinking, I was like chewing on um, topics to write about, and I was really interested in display. And Julian, you'll have to remind me of the name of the exhibition, but uh, you guys at CryptoArg had put on an exhibition where these kinds of really interesting interactive displays were um, like emphasized. I think it was Tierra something. No existe Tierra Masasha. That's the one, right? And I remember seeing the videos from it and it was just unlike anything. And I had been in crypto art for only a short amount of time at that point, but it was so unlike anything I was seeing, especially on Twitter, but really like put on anywhere, just, you know, lights and interactivity. And even when crypto art put on um, Riaz Gopais in Chinatown at NFT NYC, there was such thought given to how things were like uniquely situated in the physical world, digital products in the physical world. It's, it yeah. seems as if there is now this larger conversation that's been happening across years coming out of Buenos Aires and, and Argentina at large with artists exploring display. Have you seen that? I, mean, I imagine you're spearheading it as well to an extent. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what we've been trying to emphasize is kind of a response to how things have been, were uh, being done before. Um, we came to NFT NYC in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, for the first time. I think that was my first crypto conference ever. And um, 
And I was just so underwhelmed by the devices they used to display art. It was just these TVs on walls, one next to the other, same thing, mm -hmm. every space, loud music, QR code so you could go to the marketplace. That's it. Mm. Like no context, no explicit curation, no like physical experience. Just like a, I call them showrooms. I don't know if that's the same word in English. In Spanish, we have yeah. this thing called a showroom, which is like when a building is trying to be sold, you have this like... Um, like cookie cutter apartment put together to like show you how the thing's going to look like, which is like a fake apartment. I feel like <laughs> it was, th that was that, but for art, right? Like a super superficial thing with just like, okay, here's the screen, look at the thing in, on the wall, you know, scan the QR code, buy it, that's it. And I was just so disappointed and underwhelmed. And, and, and I, I know a lot of people in crypto had the same experience. We were, just like thinking, I mean, this is definitely not the world we want to be in. So let's just, you know, propose different ways of doing this and try to do things in a different way in this ecosystem in with this, like, you know, group of people. So yeah, the first exhibition we ever tried to put together um, or we ever put together, um, we already had that very clear in our minds that this is not going to be the typical NFT um, exhibition. We want this to be an art exhibit displaying digital art that happens to be, you know, NFTs or crypto art or whatever, whatever it is. So we didn't have the constraint of thinking about like, okay, how do we show NFTs? That was not a question. It was just like, okay, how do we make the best artistic experience possible with digital art? Um, and yeah, I think that that showed. Um, and I think people appreciated that. Um, and then when we came to New York um, the, the, the year after to do Rejo País, same thing. Um, it was in the context of NFT NYC. There were all these exhibitions going on. Some more interesting things started appearing because we, I think we collectively people realized that this like screen on wall thing is very boring. Um, mm -hmm. But but again, we wanted to do something that just like, you know, changed the the way these things were, were, were normally displayed. So I think, yeah, it was just a response, a response to what, how things were, were being done before we, we started. Let me, let, me, let me real quick, Max, let me just emphasize the passion that like these artists came all the way from Argentina, not for NFT NYC, but they spent like three days straight in the studio building this exhibition just to like be able to share that, right? And you know, at night they were out and, and doing their thing. But the, the idea was to like, again, show people in New York what that was about. And people still tell me like, that is one of the coolest exhibitions in New York that they've ever seen. And I, and I think that's so cool. Like there was, there was just, again, it wasn't about like the parties or the events or like coming, they came all that distance to like really proudly showcase their art like making trips back and forth to Home Depot, which in New York is just like insane, you know, to like get all the materials that they need, foreign country, like doing all these things. It was just really, it was super impressive. Thank you, Cole. Yeah. And that's now part of like the Argentine crypto art, like history, right? It's part of that continuum, right? Whether it's crypto art or crypto Argentina specifically or elsewhere is this like continuum of um, experiment with display, right? That's now part of this one section of, crypto art movement and one of the things that i kept coming back to when i was thinking about saruno and, and the success of it with you know being sold out and, and having such 
positive feedback is that crypto art has allowed there to be or has encouraged, I, I think, just based on the nature of its decentralization, a kind of larger artistic conversation or, or rather a continuum to emerge out of Buenos Aires and out of Argentina that is now like merging with like a much larger art historical like continuum of its own, getting those narratives out of these well-established artistic you know, nation states, right, of thought, like London and Paris and uh, New York and, and LA, right? Like Buenos Aires now has an identity, right? It has a, a, a loud and, and storied voice at this point in crypto art. I think that's really important. Um, and I think about it, you know, it's not just Argentina, it's, it's Nigeria with artists like Osanachi and it's Mexico City um, with the Dada folks and, um, you know, a lot of other places in the global South where artists who are outside of these historically artistic or, or historically artistically accepted conversation centers are getting to be a part of a new conversation. Um, Julian, have you felt that, uh, kind of evolving i mean you've been doing this since you know for for many years now with crypto art and you were doing artistry beforehand did mm -hmm. you notice that shift into having kind of a, a a pull on a larger art um conversation from within like the buenos Aires culture yeah 100 um this is one of the things that drew me the most to crypto art and these technologies and this um let's call it distribution dynamic, is that um, it had no center. Um, it was just anyone had the same, you know, say that's the same hierarchy. It was just a matter of, in the beginning at least, how good your art is, how passionate you are about it. I mean, now it's a whole different ballgame and we can definitely talk about what it became. But in the beginning, it was really about, it really didn't matter where you were. It was just, you know, because it was so online, it was just, you know, your art and and what you were doing was what mattered. Then it kind of like shifted and evolved, and you know we all know what what, what became of that. But in the beginning, that was that was it because the scene here for digital art for people that are working with technology and art mixed together is it struggles a lot because you know these things are expensive to put together. They you know when you don't have good tech, everything fails, and it's very hard to do it you know the right way. Um, the traditional art scenes here are quite um, conservative and they're quite focused on the traditional mediums like painting, sculpture, um, drawing, um, and these, um, these kind of like very, very traditional uh, mediums. So technology and art, for many, many years, it was, wasn't even considered art. And suddenly this like scene popped up where, you know, digital art was all there there was so it was kind of like incredible yeah um, and, and it definitely had an impact uh, for us it definitely gave us you know the window to not feel we are in a periphery but to feel like it didn't matter where we were and colby now that you came here you know how far away this is you know how <laughs> quote unquote isolated we are from the world or from like the main stages um, um of art and um and yeah, it just gave us, you know, this, this new possibility. And, and it's more of a mental possibility, more than the practical possibility of like saying, okay, I can sell this to anyone in the world, mm -hmm. whatever. It was a mental state, a mental possibility of like, we can now, you know, shout and be heard somehow. Um, in the beginning, that's really what it meant for us. Um, and it was very impactful. 
Yeah. Col- Colburn, when you were starting the museum, how much of a focus did you have on I, I think like, having looking back, I think all what I thought was rather, just like, so reaching naive out to all these parts of the world. I'm just that, curious like, from, we like, could have really a digital place and everybody there, like, would like to go a, um, there and like they a, could experience it and together thing, this, like, and desire to kind of It's funny in like exploring all these different metaverse worlds like centers. the various barriers of entry that prohibit people from all over the world gathering asynchronously and then seeing how powerful like everybody calling a conference and showing up and going to it actually is right. There's so many different reasons. You know, I, it was, it was incredibly naive what I was thinking. And I think there Mm -hmm. will eventually, there will always be a time and place for it, but I'm constantly reminded when compared to the broader art world, how in a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, we exist and equally how light years far ahead we are in the terms of what is expressing, how it can be distributed and trying to get people to catch up, to even be able to understand and like comprehend the context for the art is, is it's just like beyond. And, you know, when, when Julian talks about being kind of like in Argentina at the end of the world, you know, they, the, it must be an interesting thing to be in kind of an isolated geography to have something that mm. is like traditionally contemporary, but then also have this desire to express something more, but not exactly know where the outlet to express it is. So finding some commonality in this community uh, and like making these connections and making these things happen is perhaps what this crypto art movement thing is kind of all about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, have have you and have you seen like have you seen an emphasis on you know uh, what you were just saying? Have you how have you seen that like? Yeah, I mean, last, it's just say, two or three it, years. Everything, or so, right? especially I think in the space, is the two kind steps of forward, crypto one art step boom back, of twenty twenty, right? And now I mean, maybe we're all collectively taking that step back, greater because even as the you know, the, the people who kind of pushed maybe that second intense? step were not the people we want to bring along for the journey, right? So it's constantly kind of in these uh, little hype cycles of getting people mm-hmm. educated to like, like what is happening in Argentina is like edge of the edge, extreme of the art, like into the void, into like the darkness of expression of seeing like what this thing is. There's no fear. They really, they're, they're truly like fearless. Um, but without like the societal context it's so difficult for somebody in North America, Europe to even begin to understand the experiences of the people and how this art relates to like what they're going through and the desire to like reach out and and connect. I think that you've hit on something I, I think about a lot, which is that crypto art is, you know, universal. It's out, or at least it positions itself as universal and outside specific experience. But by appealing in a universal way to just like human experience, I think 
you end up with a lot of art that like scratches the very surface and doesn't feel like specifically meaningful to people. Um, I remember reading a description of uh, the Aeneid by uh, Virgil, you know, ages ago. And it, but it talked about how one of the things that Virgil did so well. And the reason that that book still is, is read in, in academia is because he brings you to his home. Right. And, you know, even way back when he makes you feel like you're in on this journey with him in these places. Yeah, that he knows incredibly I know what well. you mean. Um, and I do think some of that is for me, lost it's interesting to see in this, a larger kind of crypto art like, shuffle um, that is just favoring. Because there's so much emphasis you know, on this. I, I guess maybe it's in being this, inflected um, by the lack of geography of the this thing. whole world. Um, and ecosystem. Julian, do you know what I'm talking about? And I feel like in the end, what, what you see actually happening is not really reflecting that decentralization spirit. Um, so I find it very powerful that um, that these like smaller communities that are more like scattered around start to like appear and produce their their own like scene. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the way that then it's like bottom up um, informed or, or modified or, or affected somehow. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, I mean, it certainly does. I, and I guess my, I, I would like to follow up on that by asking mm. like, whether you think individual groups, say, from a specific place in the world, like whether, like how important you think it is that they collectively define some kind of style or collectively contribute in a intentional way to a larger conversation. Um, like, I don't know about CryptoArg itself, but mm. I remember seeing all your works together at Riesgo Pais for the first time. It was very clear that like 3D sculpture of a, a span of mediums, but 3D sculpture was at least one place where there was incredible innovation, right? And so now, at least for me personally, I can't separate the two, right? I see them as, as at least linked in, in a small section. Um, but then I think about like making it 24-7, which is all sorts of styles of people all over the people all over the world. And it does kind of speak to, I think, the kind of extreme That's decentralization. I think right, that it's more about idiosyncrasy um, and a but way you think of it's like important facing for people um, in a specific problems, place facing adversities, kind of stake solving, you know, certain situations intentionally or, or, or unintentionally on an aesthetic, in the on, way that we uh, communicate, symbology. in the way that we relate to other people. I feel like those things are more mm -hmm. impactful than actual artistic style which I think is kind of inevitable that there will be some sort of um, all-encompassing way of, you know, aesthetic appreciation of the world. Um, the first ever exhibit I programmed as a programmer um, in the museum was with Merlina Rani, who Colburn met. She's an amazing curator. She's been working with, you know, technology and art for ages um, way before, you know, mm -hmm. even NFTs and, and crypto ever came into the scene. Um, and she, her thesis was that the fact that when we were young and when, when, when South American countries, um, these artists were young, they had um, access to only bootleg games instead of the original. And how that aesthetic, that aesthetic of like the kind of shitty, not really original thing, bootleg stuff, um, was the only thing we knew that affected our, you know, output and our view of 
of aesthetics or our, our aesthetic view. Um, and I think that that's kind of inevitable in a way, the same way that, you know, art history here, we have our own art history that probably most people in the U.S. haven't even heard of. Um, and I don't know, like figuration was really big here when, you know, the classical art movements were being born and a proper art scene was being developed here for the first time. Argentina has a very, very close relationship with figuration, with observing your surroundings, with seeing like the clash of um, urban culture against rural culture. So those things, I feel like it's pretty inevitable that they will like somehow permeate through the art. But I do think that it's more relevant to observe how we deal with things, how we relate to people, how we, the decisions we make around like where we want to show our, our art, what kind of, you know, events, conferences, people we want to like have close or, or push away from. I think those things are, are kind of more, you know, more impactful somehow. And I feel like when you relate that to decentralization, that's what you want in the end, right? Is that everyone can, you know, um, express or participate from their own place. That like multiplicity, that plurality of points of view, of, of ways of seeing the world, that's one of the most enticing things about decentralizing processes or having um, certain things be decided by decentralized processes. I think aesthetically it's also necessary, right? You know, uh, there has been, I think we can all agree. I wonder if people listening to this would agree. There's been a kind of like aesthetic flattening. Um, I think of a lot of crypto art because I think there is a, an attempt to mirror styles without imbuing those styles with individual place or individual history. Um, I think out of a fear of alienating potential collectors who may yeah. be from different parts of the world who may not be able to interact or feel as intensely, you know, touched by some kind of specific, uh, you know, personal touchstone, right. That comes from a specific place or a culture, or, um, an upbringing, et cetera. Right. Um, but obviously like the best way to combat stylistic fatigue and copycatting is to have more people from more parts of the world making art in their own like culturally unique styles that are based on like the individual um you know difficulties or or stresses of that place right i'm thinking i think daim's uh contribution to the museum did a great job at capturing so many of those like I remember uh, through him, I, I saw um, Yatreda's work for the first time, the Ethiopian artist collective, right? And it's like this, the very austere black and white photography and videography. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And it so leans into a place and it's very unapologetic and, and uninterested in reaching out to anybody who is not interested in that place or the perspective of that place. Um, and I, my question to you, Colborn, is like knowing that the more aesthetics we add to this crypto art jumble, the better we can combat aesthetic atrophy. Like how do we, as a I'm going to say something controversial, I'm going to kind of take the flip side of that coin. How do we ensure more of that I'm consciously? I'm going to kind of Is position it, like, it around more what IRL I saw like, 
you know, Sarah Uno or, you know, non-NFT fest in Mexico City, or is it just more cognizant arts, and curation? Specifically what do you code think? driven art, almost continuing to produce aesthetically similar things, right? So there would be some, some movement in the, in the market around something, and then you'd kind of see like a backfill of more people kind of copying and representing that. And I think, you know, there is something special when somebody is, is touching every bit of it, right? Like not just the curation, but the, the sculpting, the creating, the layering, the, uh, the shading, whatever it is that gives it perhaps less broad appeal right but more of a they're just imbuing it with a a a sense of of like deeper personality um and to me that is that is really like the art how so many simultaneous themes can be Mm -hmm. communicated how so much experience can be imbued in an artwork how all of these feelings relationships to one's being surroundings existence online uh is is captured so I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but like when you begin to think of the artist's hand and the power of the artist's hand in being like a relayer and transmitter of the, the cumulative experience that they have, um, I think there's really something to be said for for those that really get in there and like kind of touch touch everything. Yeah, if I, if I may add, um, from the museum, um, I think that we've been we've been doing a pretty good job in trying to um look at a multiplicity of mediums a multiplicity of geographies a multiplicity of ways of using the blockchain in experimental novel um, fashions and that's i think the main challenge we have and we I'm very certain that I want to keep you know pushing for this and 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 doing that better and and making it each time more, you know, uh, broad and more open, which is just looking at things that are not in the mainstream, looking at things that are not like uh, being publicized by these big galleries, um, by these big names. Definitely like whatever an influencer tweets is like something I don't want to look at. It's like I want to find the things that don't have a voice and that was something that when I first started in the museum, Colmar and Shivani were very, very clear about, is we want to give a voice to people that don't have a voice. We don't want to, you know, um, expand the voice of people that already have, you know, 250,000 followers on Twitter. And, and that really excited me because I think, um, yeah, I'm, I was very excited about what they said in, in, in the beginning when I first, you know, got offered to be the director of programming because that's what I'm excited about too. It's like, let's find those groups of people that are, you know nobody knows what they're doing mm-hmm. it's uh it's it they don't have you know this huge platform um and that's what that's where i actually think the the true exciting thing comes from I, I keep thinking about the kinds of collectors who I think are very public, have a large profile in this space. Um, 
and the kind of flattening of, or I guess, I guess that like the short sightedness almost of the kind of art they're collecting, not that the art they're collecting isn't wonderful, but I, I keep thinking and I keep seeing things about um, Anne and Michael Spalter's like digital art collection, which is like among the most um, vaunted in the world. Right. And started in the eighties at a time when digital art collection was not really the purview of institutions and of, you know, high profile collectors, but it became that way, right? They took the long view. They were playing the long game with what they were collecting. And now you have this bevy of really culturally significant digital art. And I think about someone like Misan Harriman, who's a really wonderful photographer and an incredible collector and is very intentional about the kinds of um, photography and photography from um, especially like uh, black photographers that he's collecting. And I think that those things like that kind of intentionality and collection is what's going to buoy and, and give a reason for people from various places that are not the artistic mainstream to continue to create in ways that are outside of the artistic mainstream. And I'm not sure that there's enough of that. It seems like collectorship has a three, four or five year timeline. And there's this or, or kind of three to four or five year, you know, view down the road. And it does seem to me, um, that there's a kind of split personality between what is said about, you know, the really cliche, like we're early, like crypto art is going to have this big cultural value. People are going to write about it in 20 years. And I believe that to be true, but the collection, I think from a lot of, I've like, never collectors, there's a couple of collectors that I've had at the curve. Right? But for the most part, I has like two, buy. three, four, five year um, time horizons, which is no time know, at all in an art movement, maybe in a crypto art movement. Around, yeah, um, Colburn, intense. do you have thoughts on that? And Am I completely I off the mark? Of course, you know what I'm saying? Broad question mark of what are people doing with these objects other than just collecting them? Right. What is what is their next step? Because for most, it just seems like collect ad infinitum. And then, you know, is does that ever actually become, you know, an art object or does it just get bought and then placed two X higher and, and sit forever? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there is a difference. There's a very distinct difference between something that is crypto art that is sitting kind of like on this narrative of whatever blockchains zeitgeist is in, you know, becoming a integral part of the world a la the internet. And, you know, perhaps somebody that might have built reputations on like Instagram or someplace else for the work that they've already done. And I think those are two inherently different things. And I think the technology is a blanket that goes across both of it. So you know, I think you can definitely tell a lot about a person by what they create and you can tell a lot about a person by what they collect. And for me, mine was like, you know, a exercise in trying to reconcile the feelings that I had about the world and how we were going to get there and begin to identify like the symbols and iconography that would help transmit these values to to other people. Yeah, and I think... I'd- uh, just wrote, and I think you know, for the most, there's a lot of like pretty picture collecting, and there's a lot of pretty picture producing too. Um, I, I was just gonna add that when you intertwine finance so much with art collecting, it's also kind of like the dynamics get a bit like muddy and and funny and complicated, and that's been happening in the traditional art world forever. I mean, it's not anything new, 
but when I like this saying, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but art and finance are um, connected to each other by an umbilical cord made out of gold. Um, it's like these two things have been, you know, dancing the same dance for, for ages and, and pretty much one exists because of the other, like without patronage, art wouldn't be the thing that we know as it is today. Um, so I think that makes the whole equation a bit more like, you know, strange somehow. And when crypto art appeared, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't free of all this speculation and status and, you know, investment, finance. Um, I think that's definitely going to have an effect. And that's why I also find it interesting what happens in, in, um, in bear markets. Because then, you know, you see the people that are staying, that are still excited about the technology, that are trying to iterate and think, like, how else can we implement this in a way that's different, that's weird, that will break things? Um, that's what I find the most, the most interesting, actually. I don't know, Max, if you, if you also, like, have seen this <clears throat> phenomenon of, like, in the bear market is when things actually get, like, more exciting and more, like, vibrant. So I'm glad I'm glad you said so because I'm working on this kind of harebrained theory, or rather, this harebrained theory came to me, and I would love your opinion on it, because, you know, I I, I find myself influenced by the crypto world that I came into, right, which was in the fucking heyday of the PFP shit, right, and then as I was kind of getting more indoctrinated into crypto art itself, away from my like silly Solana PFP you know, drivel that I was investing in, quote unquote, investing in. What I found was this uh, cognizance of the downstream effect of the PFP thing that it was bringing money in, and then that money would lead to cloud chasing. That cloud chasing would eventually lead to one of one collection, and that would lead to interest in artists. And I, I really thought about that flowchart. And so this is the harebrained theory I'm working on, right? So I think that potentially, like decentralization of aesthetics and like cultural affectation is a natural effect of sales being harder to come by, right? So first sales slow, right? So the average sale price goes down and the people who benefit most from continuing to remain in the space are those who are going to be a like unaccustomed to huge six and five figure, like dollar figure sales. And it'll be people who are outside of a expensive Western economies and b traditional, like, uh, immense success, right? It'll be people to whom $100 USD or $500 USD is not just like livable, but is like a, a boon, right? Those are the people who are going to continue to live here. Whereas you'll have people who, who are living in, you know, Brooklyn or London who $100, $500 a month USD is not enough to, to live on. It's just the reality of the thing. So it'll be people from around the world who are going to have the most um, fervent reasons for, for creating, for marketing, for, you know, collecting, um, South America, Africa, India, let's like the global South at large. And then those artists will, interesting. Have, will, will develop more of a foothold, a, a mastery I would have to think about that for a bit. Or a comfort also with I see a phenomenon where navigate the space from people doing it. Are a better practice, a larger collector base. Also am I totally off base with that there are no sales? Or am I and then actually on like to maybe something? shift their attention to something else or like, not pay as much as much attention 
Um, but at the same time, it's true that some of the innovation comes from people that still want to make it work mm -hmm. and still want to make it happen. Yeah, I don't know that I have a very yeah. um, defined viewpoint on that that I can share as of now, but I'll definitely think about that more. I think it's a very interesting point. I like your theory. Colborn, what do you think? Yeah, I'll just, I'll, um, a lot of the things I was very maximalist about, like maxi decentralization, like maxi time doesn't matter, maxi location doesn't matter, right? Um, unfortunately, these things matter and they matter a lot. Right. So I think, you know, as we've seen with the museum, our next step is let's do some sort of like representative decentralization of people who actually have like strong opinions and actually do care. Um, and then maybe other people can kind of like find these and develop these skill sets over time. But it's not everybody isn't going to care and not everybody is going to have the time. And I think there have been a lot of like DAOs that haven't been able to work because it, they, we've gone too far in a spirit of decentralization and trying to support this and trying to build tools for this. Uh, and I think it's almost like the same thing on the artist side, right? You, you're not going to be able to reach and relate and continue to connect with everybody, but you can do so with, with a few people deeply. Um, and then on like the location side and the time side, like, it just, it matters. It gives context to the work. It gives context to the person, like when they're able to participate and the ways in which they're able to participate and the ways in which like the infrastructure allows them to participate. Because, you know, if I didn't know anything, say about like Osanachi and I came across one of the early works and it was, you know, I just wouldn't have like the real context to appreciate why the work was created in that way, in the spirit that it was created in that way and how that body of work has like progressed and grown over time. Yeah, I, I find myself coming again and again to the lack of enthusiasm for criticism in this space. And when I think about art forms in general, in which like there is a popular version, whether that's like top 40 music or Marvel movies, people don't take it personally or as like a personal attack. When I say something like top 40 music is really bad for the most part. And it's like unoriginal songwriting by figures who are more corporate than artistic. And same thing about like the Marvel movies, the star Wars movies or whatever. And I think that there is a, I think artists, maybe naturally, this is the result of having one artist producing one work. That's um, interesting. But there doesn't seem I don't, to be. I don't know that I feel the same way. I feel like in the beginning, it was very sensitive. Styles, not there was like kind of this like implicit styles, feeling that we just had say, to like, like, I'm not interested in this. And right? To say this, I'm not interested you know, in X that was style coming to challenge a lot of the disavow people who are working in that style. And so any criticism was taken as, like, you're just a hater. Um, you know, why are you being so shitty? We're all like doing our best, like very like infantile way of, of taking criticism. Even, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about aesthetic criticism. Um, but I feel like now there's been kind of an evolution where things are starting to settle where they should be and, and people are starting to feel more comfortable, you know, defending their place, feeling more like strong in their positions. And I feel like we've 
kind of evolved a little bit in terms of, of the acceptance of criticism. I've been very blunt in my column and I've gotten a lot of, you know, good feedback from that and say like, that's, that's amazing that you can, you know, speak your mind like that. I, I'm not putting any like crazy, you know, art, art theory thesis. I'm just like saying what I feel. I'm saying like what I think, honestly. And I feel like that's now kind of like, there's, there's a space opening, opening up for that. Um, but I do feel there is a lot of room for criticism to evolve and to develop um, in, in the space too. I don't know, Colby, what's your, what's your, what's your feeling on, on criticism? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, it was, <laughs> because there was no expert, it was really difficult to criticize, right? So you, and then of course, like a lot of the collecting that I did in the beginning was just like instinctual off aesthetic, you know? So I had, I had really no context and, um, it's funny to think about the things that I collected and, and why I did. Uh, but no, criticism wasn't really part of the equation. You know, yeah. I could find myself. It, it was just a window to understanding, right? It's, it's, it, was a, it was a great window to begin to understand people and to like start conversations and, you know, and the, the economics of it all generally led to... to <laughs> <laughs> to more hard hard conversations than like fruitful ones um so there was a, a bit of like anonymity in the beginning which was also i think enjoyed by most that now many have had to step forward not necessarily in like defense of their work but i think in just the necessity of providing context to who they are and what they want to do in their value set that didn't necessarily have to exist before when the stakes were much lower yeah Well, I, I guess I question the defensiveness. Um, and I think just relating back to the like specific, you know, cultural affectations of various artwork, like I think that the work of say like Cass Samard is really, really beautiful. And like the landscape photographers um, who go into these incredibly remote, you know, mountainous areas or you know, tundras and take these incredible pictures. Like it's really beautiful, but it doesn't affect me at all. Right. It's not really for me. Right. I want to look at it, but then I kind of forget about it because I've never been to these mountains. I have no specific relationship, but if I see a picture of like a beach shack, you know, on a beach somewhere that is like old and kind of rusted out, it's going to remind me of the Jersey shore where I went my whole life. And those are the kind of pictures that stay with me. Right. The fogginess and the graininess. Like, I, I don't know why, but there's that like very specific calling out to me that I just don't get from a specific brand of artistry. And I'm not sure that I can like, I'm not sure I can be in conversations or in most conversations around this kind of artistry and say, it's not really for me. It's too universalist. It's too like kind of vaguely appealing without drawing pushback from people who are defending those artists as if I'm attacking those artists which is totally off the base, right? Because I yeah. think you can or I respect much their craft, the craft and, and, and the these artists me. while saying it's um, not. I like this and phrase. I'm not sure we've evolved Saltz to that level that says, of discussion around. Um, if you these go to pieces, an art fair, I'm not sure that and we two percent of what are you able see to say of all the like artists just two percent resonates with you. Consider yourself very, very lucky because not everything is going to resonate with you. 
actually most things are not going to resonate with you. It's just those little like nuggets, those gems that you find that suddenly like, wow, this touched me. This made me feel something. Um, so it's ridiculous to think that everyone wants, has to like everything or resonate with everything. It's just like in this, like such a subjective personal thing that art is, it, it's kind of like, it should be so obvious. I think back to Riesgo Pais, where I have such vivid memories of the artwork I saw there and the, the feeling of being there, right? And it was a real resonance with the context and the place and the energy and the collection of works because they were so outside of the norm of what I was seeing, right? In a world in which so much of this art, not always by its own fault, becomes flat mm -hmm. against like the glut of the experience of it all. It's this like really unique, thoughtful, specific and sometimes not universal universally appealing work that i think becomes to me the most resonant and i th think that like again the i i imagine that this is one of the reasons that Saruno was so well attended and so well loved is that it's mm -hmm. not for everyone it was not meant to be mm -hmm. for everyone it was not in a place yeah. where everyone i always say easily, that for me and it was not work that's going to appeal to everyone it was for part of the you and the title and of the work is part of the oh, this is for me. And the context and a few like, of where my closest friends, not the whole world. Artwork. I think it's got to be um, a really so meaningful I experience, right? We kept that in mind a lot. We had, when, when I, I mean, when we were curating and putting together Zero Uno, I yeah. think we had an emphasis of physical experience. There were, there were installations with real plants and, you know, we were playing with like the way you like interact with the work like sitting down on the floor um how, the way we we lit the whole thing was very very conscious we hired someone to specifically think about the lighting of the space um because i think that you know those experiences are also part of the work um, and the artists were also very very like responsive to participating being active in like yeah this is how this should be experienced and that was very very cool um, that was one of the things that um, I I was most like excited about and, and happy about is that the involvement of the artists in creating the experience together with us. And, and yeah, it's true; it's not for everyone. It's not we didn't want to do a thing that everyone, every single person from every you know. It was just like let's do the best thing possible that we are excited about, that we are genuinely interested in, and you know think people will enjoy it or they won't look it goes back to your question about like nft paris for something like this you know and i think there's a reason that art blocks goes to marfa right and i think there's something said about like the journey there the people all making that like journey uh there mm. to the place that isn't the place there is there's a context setting in that that i think is incredibly important yeah <laughs> I think so too. 
Um, and I think that our journey today. Um, I just want to say I'm still impressed of what an amazing host um, you are to these. I really things. appreciated you your insights, Julian Coborn. I think this was a really wonderful conversation. To you, and, honestly, uh, it was sprawling um, and you're it great. felt really good I, to have. You made me feel so comfortable. It was a pleasure to even so be involved. Julian, any uh, last words before and we yeah, get you just, off? That's my that's my closing statement. Nothing else to share. <laughs> Checks in the mail, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, this one is this one is actually about Julian. I have to just say, like, sincere yeah, gratitude for Julian reading off a script that I sent him before everything you did while we were in uh, Buenos Aires together. Coborn, um, you have your cue cards. You want to say something very special nice about person, me? host, incredible artist. I really so enjoyed handsome. reading today what you posted. I'm glad that went out. Um, and just, you know, so much love for this team. I guess Max is OK, too. And and yeah, thanks to this cat for sitting on my lap. <laughs> well, it's now my responsibility to finish off this emotional circle jerk by saying Colborn. What an incredible guest you are, always with the insights. The hardest working man in show business, so to speak. You're literally flying all over the world, making people feel awesome about their art, about art in general, keeping this shit alive. So maybe in this maybe in this you market well. you can. Julian. I don't know. Thanks for the kind words. You're pretty good too. Um, it's been a real pleasure being here with everyone this week. And uh, we will be back next week with more wonderful conversation that you can't afford to miss. Yeah, maybe it's actually better financially for you to miss what we say. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much, and uh, we'll see you all next week.